Hi, it's Emma Kerwin bringing you the latest episode of Jack's Viral Podcast. And it's been another busy week in the newsroom. One of the biggest top stories this week, locally and nationally, is that the Oxford vaccine trial's been put on hold after a volunteer suffered a serious adverse reaction. Researchers have paused the process while they investigate to try and find out exactly what happened. Health Secretary Matt Hancock has said it shows the challenges researchers face. An ambitious investment plan to drive Oxford's economy, as well as the UK's, has been revealed. And we've been told that Oxford's two universities are boosting their coronavirus testing capacity as they prepare for students to return this autumn. And a theatre in Oxfordshire is being brought back into use as a lecture space for students. But first, we've been told that Oxford's two universities are boosting their coronavirus testing capacity as they prepare for students to return this autumn. We've managed to get hold of Oxford's Director of Public Health to speak about this. He told me that the decision to ban groups of more than six people from meeting up in England is a timely intervention. Ansef Azza reckons it'll prevent students coming to Oxford's universities from having house parties like they usually would. Here's our chat. We just have to uh, bear in mind that um, we are in a pandemic, uh, uh, but that that doesn't mean that we stop everything. Uh, we are adapting to a new normal. I've all, always spoken about uh, needing to adapt to a new normal, uh, which means that we have to operate in a different way. And part of that is actually being able to get on with the important things that we do, uh, education being a big part of that. So we are looking forward to uh, warmly welcoming our uh, university students, both from Oxford University and Oxford Brookes University. Uh, and we have put in place quite a lot of measures to make sure uh, that uh, students can be uh, warmly welcomed in a safe manner. We've set up a task and finish group um, to make sure that uh, we take early action. We looked at our campus and we've created COVID secure campuses. We'll be also providing very clear information for students uh, in terms of uh, what kind of behaviours accepted and how to uh, conduct themselves in a safe, respectful manner. And and we will keep a close eye and monitor the students' behaviour as well. And actually also what we also have done is is we've put in a testing provision, additional testing provisions in place uh, within the campus site. Obviously, there has been a rise in coronavirus cases in recent weeks. I just wondered what you'd say to a local resident in Oxford who might be a bit concerned knowing that there has been this spike and then loads of students are going to be coming to the city. Yes, as I said, you know, it it is a concerning time. Um, You know, we will review the guidance. We will keep an eye on the situation. We have got our local outbreak plans. We have set up, uh, exercised the uh, plans and stress tested the university plan. So, uh, as a local resident, uh, they should be assured that we've taken um, as, 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 as many actions as possible to, to uh, ensure the safe return of students. Um, as I said earlier, it's not without risk, but it, it, it is about adapting to a new normal way of working. Um, and actually, uh, the fact that we've just got this new guidance uh, will help us with that in terms of making sure that large gatherings uh, and large parties and things like that will not happen. Uh, and it will f- further help to make the uh, in- environment um, and campuses and outside the campuses as, as safe as possible. Um, the other thing we have also done is, is that um, we- we've increased the testing provision and we would ask anyone with symptoms, if you have got coronavirus symptoms, uh, yeah, whether you're a student or not, you should go and get yourself tested um, and, and self-isolate yourself 
for, a, for, the, for the right period. So lots of actions have been taken, um, and I think what we're doing is we're taking proportionate action uh, at this stage. Um, of course, if the situation changes, we will act promptly. We've, uh, we've got a surveillance unit that are looking at the numbers and the epidemiology and the spread of the transmission of the virus. Um, and if there is any reason to review these uh, measures, we will do that in a prompt way. I also caught up with John Kirk, the academic registrar at Oxford Brooks. He told me that the university is looking forward to welcoming students back in the coming weeks safely. We're really excited to welcome our new and returning students back. Um, We're confident that we're providing a safe and secure environment for our students and our staff. Um, We are, wherever, not complacent. And we are aware that government guidance the law and public health advice can change, as, as we've seen very recently. Um, but we've got mechanisms in place to process those changes and respond accordingly. There has also been a rise in coronavirus cases, a, a bit of a spike, hasn't there, in Oxford recently. Do you think that the measures in place will, will keep residents safe as well as students? We've worked closely with local partners and followed government and public health advice to create a safe and secure environment and some of those things include things like enhanced cleaning, signage, use of face coverings, reduced capacities in lecture theatres um, but also and probably of most reassurance to the, the local community is that we've developed a sophisticated track and trace system um, but also working closely with Oxford County Council we've introduced on-site testing facilities in Headington. How important are students to Oxford? Students are hugely important to um, Oxford. It's, uh, we're really proud of our kind of relationship with the community, the um, kind of impact that our students have on the community, both in terms of the economy, but also the, the general community. Both Brooks and Oxford Uni have got on-site testing facilities and extra local contract tracing systems in place. An online event will be held later this month too, so residents can put questions to the institutions. Now, despite Oxford's coronavirus vaccine trial being currently on hold, another group of experts at the uni are starting to investigate how the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic will impact on school life. The Oxford ARC team says students will bring them unique experiences and traumas from lockdown, so it wants to understand how these worries might harm their mental health. Dr Sam Parsons, one of the researchers, spoke to our reporter Alex Meakin about it. So what's been a really consistent thing since May is that we're finding that teenagers are showing much lower mental health compared to parents, compared to adults. Um, So about twice as many teenagers are telling us that they feel lonely kind of most of the time um, compared to their parents. And on the flip side, we're also seeing that about twice as many parents are saying that they never feel lonely. Um, And we're kind of seeing similar rates of or similar patterns, I should say, of mental health as well. So teenagers are reporting higher levels of anxiety, depression, uh, loneliness, lack of kind of feeling in control of their lives um, compared to parents. Um, Now, that's been something that's been really consistent since May, and we're interested to kind of see how that plays with, with a number of other factors. How do you think that return will impact on adolescent mental health? It's so hard to say. So much of what's, what I think is going to end up impacting the young people in our society is, in many ways, the kind of things that are 
that already do. So every every level of inequality throughout society. But I think what COVID and lockdown is going to do is kind of increase those uh, those gaps. The schools, for example, that are much much better equipped to handle social distancing or just have had the support throughout throughout lockdown are probably going to see that the young people are, are feeling much more supported and are probably going to come back with higher levels of mental health and kind of just feel better with things in general. But I think what we're going to see is a huge variation across the board. I mean, all that it takes is a, a few teens in a class kind of getting COVID or a teacher falling ill and then what happens to the school? And likewise, with all of the recent kind of call it a kerfuffle to be very nice about it with exam results, I think there's these huge unknowns that are coming into young people's lives. And that's that's kind of what we're hoping to understand with the, the next phase of this study that's uh, starting now during this return to school. How volatile a time is adolescence, uh, mental health-wise, in general, without all of this going on? Very much so. So we see that Something around about 75% of mental health conditions tend to um, have their onset before the age of 18. And what kind of drew us to, to this kind of research and to really want to put this study out in particular is that the vast majority of mental health research focuses on adults. But then we also miss the development of these conditions, the onset, how things progress. And I think if we really want to help people, that's where the time, the effort, and ultimately the research funding needs to go to. Um, and sadly, that's not the case at the minute. Um, and we're also seeing that, that that's kind of been reflected in some of the, the research efforts around COVID, mental health kind of work that's going on. It's so often directed at, at adults, uh, usually 16 plus, um, largely for ethical reasons to how people can consent to take part. Um, but it does mean that we're missing this kind of really vital vital point of development over life and particularly 2020 is well a nightmare particularly important that we we put our efforts into in our case understanding the the impacts of covid lockdown back to school but also trying to to really have that impact how we how we think the the mental health response kind of should be in the future that was dr sam parsons from the oxford arc team also this week, an ambitious investment plan to drive Oxfordshire's economy has been revealed. The Oxfordshire Local Enterprise Partnership is behind it and is calling on the government to pump £4.3 billion into local businesses and education infrastructure. Chief Exec Nigel Tipple told us more about what the cash is for. It really sets out a clear strategy for Oxfordshire to to be a place which government and the private sector can invest in. Um, it focuses on five broad pillars, one around ideas and innovation, a focus on people and the communities so that we've got the right skills and the right opportunities, a business environment that has the, the dynamics to be able to, to drive growth, an infrastructure to support that, whether that's um, you know, new technology infrastructure around clean growth, whether that's uh, mobile technology, broadband, um, etc. And importantly, recognising that investment happens in place and those places need support to take advantage of that investment. So we've, we've set out a strategy uh, that builds on our local industrial strategy published in July 2019 um, that was endorsed by government. 
Um, and we've submitted that into government as, a, as an opportunity for them to consider investment into Oxfordshire, both as a place, but also as a mechanism to support UK PLC uh, in this you know, kind of post-COVID and, and post-Brexit landscape. So really important opportunity, signalling an intent and a, and a commitment to support Oxfordshire and indeed the national economy and building from a track record of investment that has seen significant leverage uh, where government have invested into us in the past. So real strong opportunity, potential to, to do more and we're looking to government to work with us to realise that opportunity. Nigel Tipple there speaking about Oxlap's plans to boost the whole UK economy. Back to health now as the NHS has started prescribing soup and shake diets. A trial found 46% of patients with type 2 diabetes saw their illness go into remission. The coronavirus is understood to be more deadly in people with obesity. Paul Aviard is Professor of Behavioural Medicine at Oxford Uni and previously found that 800 calorie diet is effective for treating obesity. Here he is chatting to Joe Simabel from News. By providing only 800 calories or so a day, it really produces rapid weight loss and what we know is that people can't go on trying to lose weight for month after month it's just too much hard work uh, and this simplifies the instruction for people as well instead of saying oh eat a bit less of what you would normally eat which is the essence of the instruction on most people's uh, diet programs this says eat this and don't eat anything else and you will lose weight so it simplifies the instruction which makes it easier to follow and second of all it concentrates the weight loss into a short period of time in our case we tried to get people to lose weight over eight weeks with a little bit more weight loss in the next four weeks as people transition back towards normal food and from then on uh, support to maintain a healthier diet so uh, that was the shape of the program and it's because it's concentrated it, it leads to these kinds of successes i think and do we know much about the sort of long-term impact and whether people are managing to stick to this diet if needed? Yes. Well, we've just followed people up uh, at the case of uh, three years and we still see significant weight loss. We'll be presenting those results in the medical literature in the coming months. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we still see beneficial effects. Clearly, there's been some weight regain or people's weight goes up and down and they go back to this kind of program because uh, Trying to lose weight and keep it off is hard. What people typically find is they lose weight, they put some weight back on and then they try to lose weight again and their weight goes down again. So we know that this uh, repeated attempts to try to lose weight will reduce the risk, as I say, of heart attack and stroke and other complications of having obesity. Uh, those risks will be lower if people can manage to keep their weight as low as possible for as long as possible. So do you think it is right then that from today this will be prescribed on the NHS? I think it's a real sea change for the NHS. Instead, of what we've normally done when people have been diagnosed with diabetes is put them on medication and say, right, that's it for life. And what we're saying now is actually that need not be it for life. You can get rid of this diabetes. And uh, what caused the diabetes in the first place is the accumulation of fat and in particular the accumulation of fat in the wrong places in the body that's led to the diabetes and if you lose weight then uh, that fat will go and your diabetes will go along with it and previous research has shown that more than half or half of people 
uh, who followed this program uh, went into remission. In other words, they no longer needed diabetes medicines after trying this program. And for anyone that might be listening and thinking, well, actually, I, I reckon I can sort of work out my own version of that without, you know, getting help from the NHS. What would you say to them? Could it work if people just made their own interpretations of this diet? I would advise people to go and follow a programme. We know that people following a programme of any kind is more successful than people just doing it on their own. So it's in your own interest to do that. Second of all, if you're going to do this kind of what you might call extreme dieting, uh, then um, it's actually really hard to get all the essential nutrients that you need in order to sort of keep your body going safely. And what these diets do is they have been specially formulated to ensure that all of these nutrients are in the food and so uh, we know that even this extreme dieting is a safe way to go so uh, I think that's the reason I would say go to a recognized program that does what's called these total diet replacements. And do you think in the long run this could maybe save some money for the NHS, you know, without it having to deal with, I suppose, the after effects of obesity and some of the impacts of that? We know that uh, the impacts of obesity uh, are, are great. It puts up blood, blood pressure, it causes diabetes, it causes heart disease and some types of cancer. And so uh, by shifting our money to spend the money on helping people lose weight at the moment that they most need it, we can um, reduce the long-term toll uh, on the NHS by bringing that money forward and supporting people and uh, they will feel better and the NHS will be better in the long run. I suppose this is kind of proving the old prevention is better than cure theory, isn't it, this one? Yes, but uh, unlike it just being a, a, you know, a statement, actually there is good evidence now that this is true. That was Paul Aviard, a professor of behavioural medicine at Oxford. Some good news for theatre now, as one in Oxford is being brought back into use. The Playhouse has been shut since March because of the pandemic, and as it still can't open to a live audience, it's temporarily being turned into a lecture space for students from Oxford Uni's Said Business School. Playhouse Chief Exec Louise Chantal told Joe more about the new partnership. Although the government restrictions did did change on the 5th of August and live performances inside are, are permittable, they're not permittable with an audience. So we can do it, but we, we can have shows, but we can't have anybody watching them um, except... Um, uh, and then it did change again with socially distanced performances in, inside. Uh, I think that was last week. Now, that was, of course... that. that that, of course, is hugely helpful and positive, but it, it still means that we would be selling uh, less than a, a hundred, 200 seats for a full, you know, a sold-out show. With social distancing, we still can't fit in more than, I think it's 140 people at two metres and 170 at one metre distancing. And that's just not possible for us to to take the costs and the risks of before producing and presenting theatre um, to such a small number of people. So the Saeed's um, residency um, allows us a little bit more wiggle room until um, until Christmas at the moment. The decision is still through till, till the end of the autumn term. During that period, we're going to be doing some really exciting one-night performances, mainly comedy, at the weekends when the Saeed are not in the building. 
we will have a limited live audience in the theatre um, and we will also be recording those performances for streaming and possibly live streaming. So that's the best of both worlds, really. We make sure that we're useful and that the theatre is being used and, as I say, useful during this period, while at the same time we are getting gradually back to live performances. And as you say, it sounds like it's great for both sides. The side business school probably looking to spread out a bit more at the moment because of social distancing. But for you, Uh is it quite exciting, the idea of sort of shifting into a different use for a while? Well, it's joint use. I mean, we're we're still maintaining the right and ability to have perform, you know, be a theatre. And of course, the theatre has a long history of of holding, of hosting lectures and you know, educational sessions. So, in some ways, it's not a huge change to the work we do year in year out. But what it is is it's a completely different and new um, part of a new relationship or new part of a relationship with the university and it does mean that the Said can can deliver socially distance um, lectures Um, they they have the most incredible uh, faculty at the Said they they really do have the most extraordinary uh, lecturers and they want to deliver those courses in person and of course students coming from all around the world want, want that Oxford experience and so the Playhouse is big enough for them to be able to do that very safely And of course, you've been closed since March. Does this deal, I suppose, make you maybe sleep a little bit easier? You've got a little bit of income coming in for the time being still? Yes, of course, because, I mean, it is some, we do have some income, but that's not actually the main thing. The main thing is our desire to be useful, which sounds a little bit Pollyanna-ish, but is true. We want, you know, the theatre is part of the community in Oxford. We take that responsibility seriously. And, you know, I think, personally, and I mean, I, you know, I think it's a sin to have a, an empty theatre. I think you should be using the space available. Um, so that's what we want to do. And it just seems that I've used the term an elegant solution. It just seems that it helps us out in the short term, but it actually means that we can be useful and help out one of our main, main long-standing supporters and partners. And Oxfam's encouraging the public to say yes to second-hand and combat the effect of fast fashion. The Oxford-based charities launched a campaign asking shoppers to pledge to only buy second-hand until the end of the month. Kevin Spencer, the retail manager at Oxfam Superstore in Cowley, says the pandemic has highlighted the impact of fast fashion. He's been chatting to me about the campaign and the shop. I think the, the pandemic has highlighted the effects um, of the fashion industry on the planet uh, because we have been able to kind of take a back seat haven't we and to kind of have a look at what we are doing so I think it's it's highlighted the importance to try and become more sustainable. What has it been like at the Superstore in terms of the pandemic? So we reopened in June um, and it's been absolutely amazing Uh, people are still coming and supporting us um, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, we are accepting donations uh, three days a week and we have a really amazing turnout for that. Um, and we're also back to our normal opening hours um, and we're just getting busier and busier each week. People are absolutely amazing. Our supporters are really, really helping us. Have you been inundated with items? Because we've seen a few um, tweets and things from other like charities and that saying, actually, don't just be dropping off all your unwanted stuff. 
like call up before? So we are, um, everybody throughout lockdown has been clearing out. So we ha- are now asking people to ring your local Oxfam shops before you bring your items because we do have to still quarantine everything for 48 hours. So we are just asking that you double check with us before you turn up so you don't get disappointed. Are you feeling quite positive then in terms of actually getting your customers back? Especially at the Superstore, we've been able to put some really great measures in place to keep our customers um, and our shoppers um, and our volunteers safe. We've got a really large shop here, so social distancing is really easy. Um, so, yeah, we, we are really confident that the things that we put in place are um, really good to keep people safe. Have you got things like hand sanitizer stations and all that? Yeah. So uh, we've got hand sanitizer um, on the entranceway, um, and we're also um, asking that all customers wear face masks. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Jack's Viral Podcast. Keep up to date with the latest news in Oxfordshire by giving us a follow on Twitter. Just search at Jack FM News.